0: We are in a new series. This is week two um, of a series that we're calling Why. Uh, It's all about why we do the things that we do as a church and why we do them the way that we do them. Josh spoke last week about Ironically, he preached about why we preach uh, and why we do that, why that's a part of our services and and why we communicate information and and do things that way. It was a wonderful sermon. Um, If you weren't here to hear it, you can jump on the website at hollyspringsvineyard.org and there's a link there for the audio and you can find the uh, full video on YouTube to check that out. So this morning, I'm going to be continuing on in that series um, talking about why Vineyard. Vineyard is the association of churches that we're a part of. And so why are we that? Why did we choose to be a vineyard and what does that mean? Uh, There's two things um, that I don't think I can answer this question and talk about this topic without talking, uh, doing two main things, talking about two main things. Um, First, and that's telling you a bit of our own story. Because, you know, after all, Josh and I planted this church, um, and when you start a new church, you have to decide if you're going to be a part of something, some organization or something that already exists, or if you're going to set out on your own and do your own thing or be independent or whatever. And so we intentionally planted a vineyard church, and there are reasons that we did that. Um, that we came to that decision. Now, please understand, my purpose is absolutely not to preach Vineyard today. Um, that is not my my purpose, and I assure you that Josh and I, as well as anyone, we know that the Vineyard is not perfect. It is not the end all, be all. We do not have all the answers. Um, you know, we do not always get it right, and we are certainly not the only valid expression of Christ-centered community out there. Uh, but there is a reason that we are Vineyard, and we're going to get into that. Um, and I don't think I would be able to really explain that well to you without telling you, you know, some of our own backstory uh, of how we came to this. The second thing is that I don't think I can possibly explain to you why we are a Vineyard Church without talking a pretty good bit about our values and our beliefs and our practices, because that's really kind of who the, what makes us who we are, right? So, in a little bit of a sense, those of you who've been to some of our Vineyard 101 classes, that might sound a little bit familiar. I'm not going to go into all the history and, you know, sort of those types of things that we would in that class, but it's going to seem a bit familiar maybe um, some of the things and that's probably all fine and well because we are super overdue for one of those classes Um, so I oh real quick this picture I I chose this one intentionally if you were under 20 years old do you know what that is (laughs) good job Riker it is did the rest of you know that you ever seen a typewriter I remember in sixth grade having to type up my biology reports on a typewriter because my dad didn't have a – anyway, I saw that and I thought, I wonder what percentage of the people in that room will not recognize what that is. Anyway, okay. Enough picking on the younguns. All right, so I have this word cloud up here, this next slide, that is full of lots of vineyardisms. You know, these little phrases and words that come from our beliefs and our values and our practices. You know, and a lot of these things are things that I really like. About the vineyard that we believe, or that we do. You know, I really like the value. They're kind of split apart in here of no hype and no manipulation because I want to be authentic. I don't want to personally be manipulated or hyped, you know, into by emotionalism or anything else. And I don't want to do that to anyone. So I love that we value that. You know, we're not trying to sell a brand. I love that we value being culturally relevant, so that a church like us in the suburban south can have the same values as an urban chicago vineyard and have the same values as a spanish-speaking vineyard in miami as a vineyard you know surfer culture in southern california but we can all have the same values and beliefs and practices but have a culturally relevant atmosphere about them to our local context Um, i love that we value church planting And that we like multiplying local congregations and churches in their settings and context, and that we don't just set this goal of just building these huge mega churches. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but that I love that, that we want to plant local churches in local communities. Um, I love that we value missions and the model of raising up indigenous leaders in those places and partnering with them. That's what we do in the Russia Missions Partnership that we leave lead i love that ministry is not just reserved for those who ordained or anything like that that everyone as we say gets to play everyone gets to participate in ministry, um, I love that we follow what we call a centered set model, which means that Jesus at this is at the center of how we define kind of who's in and who's out of you know who can be a part of this thing and and what the relationship is to Jesus and all of those things there didn't talk about all of them some of them will come up uh, later today but all of those things are distinctives of the vineyard that really resonate deeply with us. However. I think there's a few things that are a little more central and important about who we are and constitute more of the why of why we're a vineyard um, that these distinctives actually emerge from or flow out of. And we're going to talk about those. So. Uh, I said I need to share with you a bit of our backstory. So here, here's part of that. So Josh, um, I don't know if he would describe it this way, but this is how I'm going to describe it. He grew up in more of what I would call, so his parents and, and his uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents and things like that, they, they came out of a Catholic tradition. But when he was younger, they grew up in mostly what I would call like an independent Pentecostal church. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so... I'll let you define it later. Um, those of you who grew up Baptist like me, they were independent Pentecostal. Okay? That, that, was, that was where that landed. I remember I visited Josh's church one time when we were in college and dating, and I got in there, and I just remember this little old white-haired lady doing laps in the worship center, raising her hands and praising and shouting and having a good old time, and Baptist little me just sat there and went, I have no idea what I have gotten into. <laughs> like, is this how, is this, oh, God. Because uh, look, growing up, we were edgy if we clapped to a song, okay? Like that was a real paradigm shift for me, okay? Like I, I didn't know what I had stepped into in that moment. So you can imagine that when it came time for us to, when we were getting serious in our relationship and time for us to go to church together, we had some decisions to make. <laughs> um, you know, we, had, we needed to find something that was going to fall somewhere um, in between those two traditions that we came from that, that in, in my experience are, you know, kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Culturally, uh, and that sort of sort of thing. But little did we know at the time that one of the distinctives of the vineyard is something called the radical middle. And what that means is that you know sometimes it's really easy to cling to one end or the other, isn't it? Um, to either really hold fast to the importance and the centrality of Scripture. And, and focus hard and maybe only on that, or on the other end, kind of constantly seek and spend all your energy seeking those those emo i don 't want to call it emotional that 's what I mean but those manifestations, those demonstrations of the spirit, those you know th- those kind of um, I'm losing the word now, but, but just th- those, those ecstatic experiences, there we go, there's, there's the word I was looking for of the Holy Spirit all the time. What might be a little more challenging is highly valuing both and holding to the centrality and the importance of Scripture while also listening and seeking the presence and the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the tension that that brings us into in the middle. And so we learned that that was actually a distinctive of the vineyard, and so sure enough, when we visited this tiny little vineyard church, it was a church plant in Athens, Georgia, where we go, dogs, uh, where we were in college. Um, it wasn't in my notes. I had to. Sorry. Um, you know, we found a community that was really striving to do just that, and to reside of that in that tension of the radical middle, holding both of those things. But the longer uh, that we were in the vineyard we discovered another key distinctive that is really uh, more and probably the main thing that has kept us in the vineyard for over 20 years now. And that thing is the theology and the practice of the kingdom of God. This matters a lot. So this is straight off of our church website. Um, if you, you know, came to find us by reading about us, you will probably have seen this. Um, I I didn't write this. I borrowed this years back from some other vineyard pamphlet or something. I don't know, but it was good, so I figured, why reinvent the wheel? Um, So it says this. The kingdom of God is our central theological lens, meaning the way that we approach God and the study of scripture. The kingdom of God is our central theological lens through which we understand the teaching of Jesus. The kingdom is where the king actively rules and reigns the kingdom of god is breaking into this world and it changes everything so you may ask well doesn't every christian group and denomination believe in or value the kingdom of god well maybe but i'm not convinced that we're talking about the same thing when we say that and so that's what i want to talk about a bit this morning because you see in my experiences growing up the idea of the kingdom of god was way more focused on like getting to heaven when you die and that priority that concentration okay so for me back then the that kingdom of god and heaven were synonymous They were basically the same thing. I had no distinction between them. And maybe for you, you have that understanding now. And you're wondering, is that a problem? And so growing up, you know, we usually just kind of talked about heaven and what it took to get there and what was there and what it was going to be like and spent a lot of time, you know, waiting for that and longing for that. I actually took a class in high school called CWT, Continuing Witness Training. Any any other CWT grads in here? Nope. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, CWT was a class where we learned and basically I memorized a script that was all about how to kind of cold call on people and get them to pray a certain prayer. So that they would know and we would know and we could write it on a form that they were going to go to heaven when they died. Going to heaven when you die is not a bad thing. That's good. Um, but how does it relate to the kingdom of God? You know, we sang songs about going to heaven one day and and just kind of leaving all this mess behind, Right. When we all get to heaven, what's it going to be like? We, we just need to ditch this broken, messed up world and, and get there. Um, and in the meantime, we just need to do the best that we can not to sin and avoid it until we can get out of here right so for other traditions the kingdom of God uh, might equate to like I said earlier some sort of ecstatic experience or a moment of confrontation with the Holy Spirit you know prophecy visions uh, those types of things dreams some manifest supernatural experience and, and some traditions would say well that's the kingdom of God those moments that that's a kingdom of God and for others uh, maybe you were led to believe that that membership or involvement in some particular particular church or denomination whether it was through you know infant <laughs> baptism or confirmation or whatever the tradition or or practice was <laughs> that that meant you were in the kingdom of God that if you were a part of the body of Christ and invested and involved in the body of Christ then you're in the kingdom and those were equated for you just like heaven was for me the problem is i don't think any of those things in and of themselves are what the Bible says that the kingdom of God is. So what do we do about that? Well, the kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus when he was here and he preached. So it matters a lot what we believe now and understand about what the kingdom of God is and about what Jesus himself was teaching. Because what we believe also forms what we do, Right? Our practices flow from our beliefs. It forms our worldview. It forms the way that we understand truth. It shapes all of our assumptions about this world and about church and about God and about scripture and all of those things. And so it's not a minor thing at all what we believe about the kingdom of God and what we understand about it. Um, and so it's here that I'm actually going to, you know, they say when you, when you give a talk, you do three things. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them, right? Well, this is the part where I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Here's the nugget for today, which is to answer that question why are we vineyard? Well, we're vineyard because of what we believe and what we practice in the vineyard that, in our experience and best understanding, aligns closely, not perfectly, obviously, but aligns most closely to what we believe Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated about the kingdom of God. That's why we're vineyard, because what we've found is the belief and practices align most closely with what we have seen and understand of what that means. So if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to jump around to a couple of different scriptures this morning. The first one is a short one in Mark 1. If you want to wait for Matthew 12 in a minute, that's fine. But Mark 1 is two quick little verses. After Jesus is tempted and tested in the wilderness, he comes home and he begins to preach. And the thing that he begins to preach is this, from Mark 1, 14 through 15, it's also on the screen if you need. After John, being John the Baptist, after John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, both times in that passage when Jesus says that phrase good news, it's this Greek word euangelion. And it's the word that we get our root word for gospel from. If you've been in church very long, you have probably heard the phrases like preach the gospel or share the gospel, right? Now, I don't know what that means to you. I don't know what you think of when you hear the phrase preach the gospel or share the gospel. What that denotes. I don't know what you've been taught, you know, outside of this church that is. What's that mean? What's that entail? But I bet if I went around this morning and took that little handheld mic and asked six or seven of you to explain to me what's the gospel, what's it mean to share the gospel, we would probably get six or seven different tellings or different versions focused on different elements or different aspects of what that means. And that's not necessarily a problem because in our own scriptures, we have four different tellings or renditions of the gospel, right? It's not the gospel of Mark or the gospel of John. It is the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, you, got, you, you follow me? So it's three different renditions. And honestly, if you count the sermons and the, the letters and those things, there's even more, right? So that's not necessarily an issue. But these verses right here tell us what it is that Jesus himself sees as the good news. And that's really important. And that is that the kingdom of God has come near. That's the good news. What Jesus is describing here is very close. It's like when you're on a road trip, you ever been to the beach and you kind of do one of those deals where you come over the bridge and you've been driving for hours and all of a sudden you look ahead and kind of in between the hotels there, you first get a glimpse of the ocean. Like there it is. We've been going this way for hours and it's right there. Like I can smell the salt in the air. I can hear the seagulls. It's right there. It's close. It's like right on our doorstep. This isn't, he's not referring here to some far off kingdom like relegated to heaven somewhere. It's close. It's right here. So after Christmas, uh, we went and visited some of our family in Georgia, and it's right about just over a five-hour drive from our house here in Holly Springs to my mom's house in uh, Northeast Georgia. You know, and when she knows we're coming, like in the weeks before we, we come, I'll get a number of calls throughout, okay, now wait, when are you leaving again? What's, what, what day are you coming, and what time are you leaving, and when do you think you'll be here, and how long are you going to stay, and where do you want to sleep, and you know, all these questions about when we're going to be there. And I'll tell her, look, mom, we're leaving this day. We're going to try to be out the door by this time. It should take us about this long, depending on traffic, you know, or stops or whatever. Um, but on the day we travel guys, oh my gosh, you know, I plug my phone into the little car play thing so I can see my map and multiple times throughout that five hours on the way down to Georgia, up pops my mom's name on the little CarPlay caller ID, right? Cause all day long, Josh is smiling. Cause he knows it's like, mom, I need my GPS. I got to go. Um, you know, all day long, she's, calling so where are you at what time did you leave how long did you stop yet do you have more stops how's the traffic you know jeet yet right do you know that phrase jeet yet (laughs) two words so you know it's sweet right because she loves us and she's been anticipating our coming close for a while and so it's sweet in that sense. So what I did um, is I used my GPS app and I hit the little share route thing, and I sent her the link to share our driving route with her, so she would have no doubt about where we were, how fast I was driving, if we were stopped or not, where you know what's what the traffic is like, and when we're going to be there. And she knows to the moment when we are going to pull right up in her driveway. And I assure you, she was standing there looking out the glass door when we did, because she knew you know right when we were coming. In the neighborhood, okay? So, Jesus preached here in these verses in Mark that the people didn't have to guess any longer when the kingdom would arrive. He told them, it is close, it is right at hand. And we know that because of what he's doing. He proclaimed, the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand, it's close. I want you to flip to Matthew 12. We're going to go to verses 22 to 27. Because here, Jesus goes one step further. He's told them, it's at hand, it's close. Look how close it is. Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people, (coughs) do you guys hear a dog barking? Is that me? Okay. It's like, what is that? Um, All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Pause there for a second. Why would the people ask that question? David wasn't Jesus's father joseph was jesus's father we just did our little christmas play we saw mary and joseph and he like he's the guy who went to bethlehem with mary when she was pregnant right so we know that that that's not the case that jesus's dad wasn't named david so so what does this mean when they're asking could this be the son of david well these folks knew their scriptures which for them was what we call the old testament right the prophets the history the law and they knew that God had made a covenant with someone. And this question, who is David, is referring to King David, the second king of Israel. And they knew that God had made a covenant with King David. It's in 2 Samuel 7, if you want to make a note and go read it and check it out later. Um, But he, he made this promise to David that the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes and history would come through the line of David, that he would be a descendant of David and thus a son of David. And that this Messiah, this son of David, would be a king whose kingdom would never end, who would reign for eternity. And so these people are standing here watching what Jesus is saying and doing and they're connecting the dots from what they know was said about the Messiah and they begin to wonder could this be him? Could this be the son of David? Could this be our Messiah that we have looked for? So carrying on in verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub or bull. Josh and I had this conversation last night. Like why they got to change one letter. It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's here. Like forget close. It's on you. You are here. It is in your midst. There is no separation, no degree of distance. It is right up on you. That's what Jesus is saying. And the proof is right here in front of them in that he is doing these miraculous things, proclaiming the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, for him to say that the kingdom of God is upon you is a very different gospel than, hey, just be good and hold out for heaven when you die. Isn't it? That's a very different message. Jesus is both proclaiming and demonstrated that God's kingdom in the person of Jesus himself has arrived here, like local. And we can be sure of it because he is enacting the rule and the reign of God on this earth by the power of the Spirit. He's doing it with signs and wonders, things like healing the sick, raising the dead, Casting out demons, freeing the oppressed, instituting justice, all of those things. And so therefore, he said, back in those verses in Mark that we read, because the reality that the rule and the reign of the king of God has come close, repent and believe and come into alignment with the king and his kingdom. Be reconciled. Jesus' message was never, forget this wretched and broken place. Hang on, I'm coming to rescue. I'm coming to get you out. You can go to heaven when you die. Just hang on. That was never what he said. It was that he was bringing heaven to earth and instituting, instituting the renewal and reconciliation of all things. So realizing that the kingdom of God is central to this whole thing. This is the words of Scott McKnight. Here's what happens. That next slide. Focus shifts from the plan of salvation and the benefits we get that we experience. It shifts to Jesus, who is himself the king. And that truth is the good news. It's the completion of the story of Israel and the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so we're vineyard because in the vineyard, we embrace the centrality of the kingdom of God and the good news that Jesus is that king and that that revelation is about far, far more than just a plan of salvation as it means avoiding hell and getting to heaven one day, but that it is here right now in our midst. Okay? Now, guys, listen, there's, there's a ton of books and doctoral dissertations and sermons and speeches and, you know, all these other things um, that have been written about the kingdom of God in this topic. And, of course, there's just, there's just no way I can fully flesh this out in the time that we have this morning and really do it justice. Um, but what I've learned is that the more that I lean into it, the more that I understand about it, the more that it is shaped who I am as an individual, as a follower of Christ, As a pastor, a teacher, a mom, a wife, a friend, as a disciple, it shapes what I value, it shapes what I put my hope in, it shapes how I behave and live. So if you want to dig further, because, guys, this can be a seriously theological deep dive, um, I just want to really quickly put two resources up for you um, that you can use to do that, <laughs> two, two books. One is called The Gospel of the Kingdom uh, by George Ladd. This is actually the book that shaped uh, the Vineyard Founders' um, perception and understanding of the kingdom of God that really kind of got us where we are today um, in that sense. And so George Ladd, um, The Gospel of the Kingdom of God, and then uh, The King Jesus Gospel uh, by Scott McKnight if you if you really want to dig into this further so the kingdom of God is all about the condition of God's rule and reign and in the vineyard we believe that we are made for kingdom living okay and that brings us to our uh, second major reason that we're a vineyard which is the practices of the vineyard kingdom people are have a kingdom mission. We have a purpose and a commissioning. And in the vineyard, we value living out that mission. We want to do that. It's actually on the lobby wall out here, those like five uh, little frames that we have. Uh, There's one of the little posters that that says, partnering with the Holy Spirit. Or more colloquially, that's a hard word to say. Colloquially, we say doing the stuff. We have a kingdom mission. We have practices and things to do because our practices should embody those beliefs that we have right those things that we value and so guys if we believe what jesus said that the kingdom of god is upon us that it's at hand then that has implications for how we live our lives and what we do If we really believe that the creator of the universe has given us his spirit and lives inside of us when we choose to follow him, that has an entire host of ramifications for what we do for our discipleship, doesn't it? It should frame everything. What did Jesus say about it? What did Jesus say about those actions that embody our beliefs? You know, he said there'd be a whole host of signs, didn't he? There would be things that you could see, certain manifestations of the power of the Spirit that would be associated with those who follow him and believe in him. Mark 16, if you want to flip over there. Mark 16 through 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. After, <clears throat> after the Lord Jesus <clears throat> had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs thank you so much i accidentally left that behind by the signs that accompanied it he confirmed his words by the signs that they accompanied it they enacted the words with their practices now Guys, I don't think in any way, shape, or form Jesus is telling us to, like, go play with copperheads and drink Drano. That's nonsense. He also gave us the gift of common sense, right? But what he is saying is that our practices should and will be reflective of the power of the Spirit in our lives, Right? Listen to what else he tells his disciples. This is from John 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Guys, that is an enormous claim. And I really struggle with that verse sometimes because I don't always see that in reality in my life. But that's a really big claim because Jesus was doing some really amazing things, wasn't he? He was doing some incredible things. And he did those things. And and as if that wasn't shocking enough to see him doing them, he says that his followers are going to do those and more. Come Holy Spirit, may it be. The founder of our movement, (laughs) he once made the comment, look, guys, I gave up drugs for this. I want to do the stuff, (laughs) right? There's got to be more, okay? And then he turned around and actually had the audacity to believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said those things. All right, so a bit more of my own story. I'm going to try and keep this one a little short. Um, One of my grandmothers, my mother's mother, had epilepsy, And her family, like her own siblings and aunts and uncles and things, they they thought she actually probably had it from the time she was very young. But back then, the seizures weren't the kind that were, you know, real obvious. And so she wasn't actually diagnosed with a seizure disorder until she was much older. But she also had several other, um, like, comorbidities, mental illnesses um, that affected her greatly that the doctors think might have actually been caused by the the untreated seizures and the damage that, that had been caused from them. And so my mom is an only child, and you know she didn't have a much of a childhood as a result of all this because she had to spend a lot of her time taking care of her mother um, and and making sure she was okay and everything. And you know, growing up, I, I saw this, and it really took a toll on my mom. you know I, that's a heavy burden to carry,, especially for you know, if you're a single child and you don't have the help of siblings. now, understand again that growing up the the tradition that i was in i was never really taught much about supernatural healing or or any of that kind of stuff you know that that those sorts of gifts or or manifestations um but there was something in me even as a, a middle or a high schooler that kind of came to the conclusion well if god is the creator and he created all this and he sent his son jesus and he resurrected Jesus from the dead and he gave Jesus the power to do this whole uh, you know, healing ministry thing. And if he loves us and he doesn't intend for this to be this way, then surely there's some way for my God to heal my grandmother surely there is power available for that. And so even, you know, as like a a middle schooler, you know, without any proper training or whatever, I began to pray for my grandmother, not in person, not laying hands on anything like that. But just as I would see her illness affecting her and affecting the family and especially affecting my mom, I would begin to pray for healing for her. Now, I would love to tell you that one day my grandmother was healed and everything was made right and well and wonderful and, you know, we all had a great family life or whatever, but that's not what happened. That's not how that came about. She eventually became a danger to herself and others because of her illness. And she had to go into nursing care, and she ended up spending the rest of her years in in nursing care until dementia finally took her life. She actually passed away uh, one week before our youngest daughter, Ava, was born. And so I wasn't able to travel and go to the funeral. And you know, now this life experience of living through this and seeing these things uh, shaped me. It stirred a lot of you know, questions and feelings and emotions in me, as you can imagine. Some of you may have you know, similar questions or, or stories. Um, and when we land in the vineyard, I began to learn more about this kingdom theology thing And how, yes, God's kingdom is here, but it's not here all the way yet in full, unfortunately, until Jesus comes back again and puts everything, even the final enemy death, under his feet. We are contending in a time of two kingdoms, two competing kingdoms. So even though his kingdom is here, it's not fully here until he comes back and makes everything right. And that gave me a framework to understand why sometimes the people that we love and pray for aren't healed when we love and pray for them and when we ask. But I also learned a lot more about what it means To have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and how through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, there are things that we can do to partner with the king and partner in the kingdom to bring more of his kingdom right here and right now than what currently exists until his kingdom comes in full. We have a role to play in that, guys and i hope you're excited about that and that's good news to you i hope you didn't weren't like enjoying sitting on the bench and riding the bench i hope you want to get in the game and be like oh really let's do it let's get to it okay Th- the entire premise of like our outreach ministry is based on this truth that there are things that we can do to partner with the king to bring more of his kingdom here and now okay this is why we always have ministry time at some point during our gatherings, because we believe that God is here among us that like really, like really here among us, in, in person with us, and there if we come in with junk that needs to be healed that doesn't look like His kingdom, that we can partner with him and ministry for others to bring more of His kingdom in our bodies and in our minds and in our families and our circumstances than what already exists here. You know, if you grew up in a vineyard or another denomination, you may not actually realize that that's kind of abnormal. Most churches don't have in their services a time where you can come and get prayer right then, especially if it's from someone other than the pastor. So what we do is a distinctive. I'm not saying we're the only ones who do it. But what we do matters in believing that we can partner with the king to bring his kingdom and so if we believe that, that God is actually in the room, then we want to hear from him and do those things with him. That's actually the language of Genesis, guys. I don't know if you know that. That When God created humans to partner with him mm-hmm. in working for a common goal, when he put Him in the, them in the garden and said, basically, be the priests over this land and tame it, name the animals, subdue it, Rule over it. It's covenant language. Partnership is covenant language. But that was broken, wasn't it? By sin and rebellion and doubt and acting on that doubt. But the good news is that through Jesus and the new covenant in his blood that was accomplished on the cross and by his resurrection, we are actually invited back into that covenant partnership with him in his mission of reconciling and renewing all things. That's really good news. We have something productive and holy to do while we are here. And so we're in the vineyard because in the vineyard, we value living and operating as kingdoms, as citizens of his kingdom who have been equipped and empowered to do the things Jesus said that those who believe in him and follow him will actually do. And so we lay hands on and pray for the sick. We listen for his words and his messages to share with others. We call that prophecy We love the poor, and we do outreach that doesn't benefit us anything, but that glorifies the Lord and brings relief to others. We lead as servant leaders without power or the need for titles. We work to know and exercise our own spiritual gifts for the blessing and the good of others. We work to bring justice for the oppressed. We worship fully, sometimes better than others, with the realization because we let our own junk get in the way sometimes, right? But with the realization that the object of our worship is actually here among us. So that's why we're vineyard. These practices flow out of an awareness of what life as followers of Jesus and citizens of his kingdom should be. And the value of actually practicing his kingdom in partnership with the Holy Spirit is why we are Vineyard. It's actually on our wall, half of our mission statement on our wall out there. Pursuing God's presence, practicing his kingdom. All right. So you say, okay, Leah, that's all great. Sounds exciting. So what? What response should we have to all of this? Well, the response that we are invited to have to this message is the same response (laughs) that the apostles teached all through the New Testament. And that is, believe, repent, and be baptized. That is the response that we are to have. Now, guys, if you have zoned out on me, I'm going to ask you to come back. If you're watching the dog play across the street or thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, I need you to zone back in for a minute because this part is of utmost importance. If you don't hear this part, there's no point in having heard anything else that I have said this morning. Belief in Jesus is more than just a mental agreement with who he is as king. Remember what they said about the demons? Even the demons believe and tremble. It's about more than an understanding of who he is it's a call to discipleship and that's a big difference it is putting your full faith and trust in him and deciding that you will be a kingdom of god citizen submitted i know we hate that word but it's a good word when it's submitted to a good king that we will be submitted to his rule and reign in your lived life. It is saying yes to a relationship, a partnership, a covenant partnership and an allegiance that will be the priority of your life for the rest of your life and will be your reality for the rest of eternity. That's what we're talking about. Some of you may have agreed with the truth, and it is true, that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you've done that. Maybe at some point, yeah, I agree with that, check. But you haven't believed in the sense that you have put your full faith and trust in him. If you do that, if you say, yes, I believe, I put my full faith and trust in you. The next step, as the apostles tell us, is to repent. And again, we may have misunderstood what this means. Because repentance, though part of it is saying we're sorry and asking forgiveness, that is not the entirety of what repentance is. Repentance is deciding (laughs) that you are no longer living for yourself as your own king in your own way. That you're going to live for Jesus and Jesus is your king. That you're going to turn from living your own way for yourself and turn to living in and for and with Jesus. Repenting is turning from your sins so that your sins are wiped out and you are filled with the Spirit of God. And if you do those two things, when you believe and you repent, the Bible says we are to be baptized. It's obedience and it is a manifestation of our belief and our repentance. And these three things go together. Baptism embodies this dying with Christ as he died on the cross and being resurrected to new life in Christ. It's a life of faith and discipleship that is going to produce righteousness and love and holiness and all those fruits of the Spirit that we read about and maybe we strive for but we didn't quite fall into because we had just a mental agreement. And so it's by this response, belief and repentance, and baptism, that we become citizens of the kingdom of God. This, guys, this is the salvation response to the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus is its king. This is the only response that makes sense. So many of you might remember a time when you prayed a really specific prayer It was probably a prayer that someone else led you through. And you prayed that prayer in order to answer a question that someone had asked you about Jesus. This is what I did with my CWT training when we knocked on doors when people were like eating dinner. (laughs) You know, hey, we want you to pray this prayer. And we would lead people through this prayer. Now, I am going to hold our feet to the fire here for just a second, okay? And I'm going to say that if your life... Does not look any different right now, today, than it did when you prayed that prayer. That's an indicator that maybe you made a decision about Jesus without actually making a commitment to him. Okay? It's the difference, guys, between being consumers of religious goods and services Versus taking up your cross, dying to self, and choosing to follow him, to become his disciples like him. And our aim in the vineyard is to become fully mature disciples, not just converts to our particular understanding or view of God. Jesus said in Mark eight thirty four through 35, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news, will save it. The gospel of Jesus, and this might come as a shock to some of you, I, like, and I, I'm not being sarcastic, it, it might hit your ears weird, but hear me. The gospel of Jesus is not only concerned with eternal things. It is concerned with eternal things. But the gospel of God is right up now in the nitty gritty of our lives today, right here and now. And there should be evidence of that. My youth pastor growing up used to say, the best evidence of a changed life is a changed life. So maybe you don't have that moment that I was talking about earlier. Maybe you don't have that moment where you can think back and remember a time that you were led through a prayer and you know prayed um, some sort of prayer of, of agreement or, or whatever it was. Maybe you don't have that moment that you can point back to, but maybe you do. But I want you to consider this, and I want you to really consider this, because this is where the rubber meets the road today. And this has to be everything that we're about. Maybe at some point, Holy Spirit, take my words and make them yours. Maybe at some point you prayed the right prayer. Maybe you gave the right answer. But is it possible that you gave the right answer but you were asked the wrong question. Is it possible that you were coming into alignment with or assenting to a gospel that was different or lesser than the gospel as Jesus revealed it, to be a full disciple in his kingdom? I think we might just need to sit and let that one set for a second. And truly consider whether we are disciples or not. And truly consider what question we have answered, what cost we have counted.